Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Fellowship Podcast. We hope this message will inspire, challenge, and encourage you to grow closer to Christ. If you're in the Anchorage area, we invite you to be our guest during our morning Sunday worship service at 11 a.m. For directions, or if you would like more information about us, please visit akmaranatha.com. Let's uh, let's, uh, go in our Bibles to Daniel chapter 6. And I want to talk about the foundations for a new year. I don't know how you feel about entering the new year. We do live in kind of a crazy world, and lots of things are unexpected, but what's new? Um, You might be a little bit apprehensive and unsettled by it, or you might be excited about what's coming. I I don't know, and I don't know if you're an optimist or a pessimist, but I have the belief that as Christians, we have a little bit of both in us, that that we know what human nature is like, and so in one sense, we're pessimistic, and we know that, that ultimately nothing good can come from human flesh, and uh, yet we can be optimistic in the fact that despite all of that, God is still good, and He's still working. We know that He's got good plans for His people, and we know that what humanity has to say, or this fallen world has to say, is not the last word. How many are glad for that? So wherever you're at on this, I think it's more important to ask the question, uh, instead of what's this new year going to bring, I think the more important question is what kind of person are you going to be in the new year? Don't you think that's an important question? Because when we're the kind of person we need to be, then we can respond to whatever comes and we can do it in a way that honors and glorifies God. I hope that's your aim. I hope that's your goal. We'll see something like this in Daniel chapter 6. I'm getting a little winded and I think it's because I had too much sugar during the holidays. <sighs> All right, so let's uh, let's take a look at our passage here. Scriptures today are from Daniel chapter 6, and we'll take a look into Hebrews 11. And I want to talk to you about Daniel. If you, you know anything about him, you know that he lived under the reign of five different kings. And in fact, there were other kings, but he was away. So uh, he lived under five different kings. Uh, Josiah, he was a contemporary of Josiah. Jehoahaz. Jehoiakim, and then the deportation happened somewhere around 605 B.C., and then he was under a well-known king, Babylonian king. Anybody know his name? Nebuchadnezzar, okay, and then Belshazzar, and then something happened overnight with the Babylonian empire. What happened? It fell overnight, right? One night. Remember the writing on the wall, meeny, meeny, tickle me, parson, and uh, the writing was on the wall, and the next day... Of course, the Medes and the Persians took over, and Daniel continued his prophetic ministry under Darius and Cyrus. He lived in three different kingdoms, in Judah, Babylon, and Medo-Persia. And I think he knows something about uncertainty and transition. Don't, don't you think if he's lived in those kinds of situations, he knows something about that. He was probably taken with a host of others from Judah in the first deportation uh, from among the towns of Judah, and he would have been a young man. He went to live in Babylon where he rose in prominence in a system that was not built for godly people. Sometimes we get the impression that if we're going to succeed as Christians, that the environment has to be conducive to that. And I think in a certain sense, we kind of build our environment, don't we? Like today, you're choosing, you could be at home New Year's Day. I mean, I don't want to give any ideas to you. You're already here, so stick it out with me if you will. But you could be at home doing something else, but you've chosen to put yourself in an environment. And that's because we realize that in the larger environment, we live in a fallen world that is away from God, that doesn't applaud or cheerlead your Christian living. 
And so we gather in small communities and we encourage one another and we think about the things of God and we look at Scripture and we grow. And those things are good things. But we understand that overall, the fallen human condition does not applaud or encourage our following after God. And so if we're going to do it, we're going to have to make a choice. I think Daniel did that in an environment that shows that nobody has an excuse for not following God, even if the surroundings are bad. We still have to follow God. We still need to make that choice to follow after him. And so he rose to prominence the kingdom. I think three things contribute to that. But let's read a little bit of our story and get into this. And so we can uh, uh, get some context for what's taking place here. It pleased Darius. We're already into the story a little bit. But it pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them, and so the king might not suffer loss. Now, Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. This time, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charge, charges against Daniel and in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him. Because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. And if you know a little more of the story, maybe we'll hold off here for now. You know a little more of the story. They devised a plan to make a law that you could only pray to the king. Okay? They said nobody can pray to anybody else for a certain amount of time. I think 30 days here. You can't pray to anyone else. During that time, knowing that Daniel, because of his convictions, is going to pray every day. They knew that. They knew the trap was a trap of uh, that if he didn't follow through with this, he would defile his own godliness. And so they knew how to get at Daniel. So they devised this scheme in order to trap him. It was a wicked, devilish uh, scheme to trip up Daniel and to get him out of the way because they were jealous of him. And so t- today I wanted to talk about this because I think there are, there are traps that lie around us and there are things that are coming uh, in the future that we're going to have to deal with. We're going to have to decide how we're gonna, what kind of person we're going to be in the middle of the next year. If, if that freaks you out a little bit, the idea that there's a new year, then there's another way to think about it. Today is Sunday and tomorrow is Monday. Yesterday was Saturday. Like we didn't even, you don't even have to, is that a revelation to anybody? Okay, so like the new year is our construct. Like we've just decided that this particular cold day is going to be when we start our new year. So if it bothers you to think in those terms, then just think about how we need to carry on. But if it doesn't bother you and you're ready for a new start, you want to think about the big glorious things that God's going to do in this, per, uh, this, this certain segment of time, then happy new year. And we have some things to concentrate on in this coming year. If we haven't done it already, let this be a new beginning. God is a God of new beginnings. And every day is an opportunity for new beginnings because his something is new every morning. What is it? His mercies are new every morning. He invites us into his new mercies every day to follow him and hopefully follow him in a better way. So I think there's three things that contribute to who we are uh, that should count for more than our circumstances. If there's one thing we're probably afraid of that will keep us from following after God, it's our circumstances. 
Like we have circumstances. Anybody have circumstances in your life? Do you know circumstances comes from the Latin and it, it means uh, that which stands around you or near you. It's that which circumscribes your life as you stand. Okay? These are things that are outside of you, things that are around you, things in your life that maybe you didn't plan or that you don't want to have happen. They're circumstances. And we all have them. And they happen around you, the weather, unpleasant coworkers, recession, um, war, people who eat too loud. Anybody know what I'm talking about there? Uh, spiritual attack, cultural deterioration. All of these things are circumstances in which we live. Everybody lives in a set of circumstances, and it would be arguable to say that probably if you looked at other people's life, you might envy their circumstances, but you don't know what all they're dealing with. We might look at other ages and say, we wish we'd lived in, but they had their own set of circumstances. And a lot of those circumstances war against our following God. These are the things that happen around us, and they affect us. But the things I, I want to mention today are the things that become a part of us. They're the reason that we can, like Paul said, be pressed but not crushed. Because what he was talking about in Second Corinthians was circumstances coming in and pressing in on us. And he says, I can be pressed but not crushed. And I'll encourage you today that you don't have to be crushed by your circumstances. So that can only happen if you have some, some things in place. And it's not only when the times are bad, but when the times are good that we need to have these things in place. The history of Israel will prove that the people of God backslid just as easily in times of prosperity as they did when times were hard. Are, are you with me? In fact, Ahab ruled one of the most prosperous times in all of the northern kingdom. But they were spiritually wicked. Uzziah had, the, had, had hordes of prosperity coming in, but it says that the people's hearts were far from God during that time. They worshiped, they went to the temple, but their hearts were far. So good times do not, does not equal spiritual health. Are you with me? We have to make a decision. Bad times do not equal spiritual poverty. What we need to determine today is what kind of person we're going to be because we don't know what's coming. It could be good, it could be bad, it could be neutral. But we can decide what kind of people we want to be. And the first thing I think we need is conviction. We need to have conviction. Okay, conviction. Uh, it's hard to find one passage with all of these things. And, uh, uh, you know, as they're mentioned, they're not always mentioned in all these passages. But they're, if they're not stated there, it's there. And so I want to borrow from another passage one of the points that's necessary. And that's... Uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32, it says, And what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets. What's uh, Hebrews 11 about? Faith, right? It's the, the hall of faith, the people who are faithful. And he says, I don't have time to tell you about all the stories. And then it says, These people, through faith, conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised. Listen, who shut the mouths of lions. Who's that referring to? Daniel. Quenched the fiery, uh, fire, fl fire of flames. What's that referring to? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? And uh, they escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness has turned to strength. They became powerful in battle. They routed foreign armies. It's talking about the people of faith that have a certain conviction, and because they have conviction, they live a certain way. They are a certain kind of people. 
And I, I would submit to you that the world has convictions too. You see, something drove Daniel because when that law was made, he didn't say, well, I guess my prayer life's over. I'll just be praying to you in my head, Lord. Or he didn't change up his habits or his routine. He kept doing the same thing he did before, which was open the door and look east, west, look towards Jerusalem, sorry. We're used to thinking of looking east, looking west towards Jerusalem and praying to the God of Israel, and he did that. And the reason that he did that, and I think that something that drove Daniel to do this, is it drove him to be different than his surroundings. His convictions caused him to be different than his surroundings. Too often, we're kind of this malleable or pliable Gumby. Anybody know who Gumby is? Okay, anybody not know who Gumby is? He's kind of a clay figure, and he stretches, and if things press in on him, he, sh- he shapeshifts in order to fit that. And we don't have to be like that. We can, be, we can have metal to us. We can be strong. We can be grounded. We can be who God has called us to be. And we can be different from our surroundings so that when the surroundings push against us, our circumstances push against us, that our convictions cause us to push back. You know what I mean by that? Not in a way that is uh, we're being confrontational with people, although I think confrontation at times is inevitable. Not necessarily in a way that's combative, not in a way that's mean, not in a way that's surly, but in a way that says, here I stand. This is what I'm about. The other thing that his convictions drove him to do is to deify, excuse me, to defy, (laughs) those are two different words, to defy power even with personal risk involved. There was power. The power is the power of the king that says this is the law. And he defied that by following God. Do you know the name Daniel means, anybody? God is my judge. I think this is part of Daniel's conviction is that as he stands as uh, an assistant to these different kings, we don't know what he was when he was back in Judah, probably a teenager, something like that, maybe had responsibilities around the house, answered to his dad. But now he's in Babylon and he's answering to the powers that be. And I think uh, what he always has in his mind is one of his core convictions is that when this is all said and done, God is my judge, not these guys. So he lives by that. I think it was his conviction. We might not be used to the word convictions. These are deeply held beliefs that we're committed to. Convictions are, are different from casually held beliefs. We, we sometimes hold beliefs very casually, like, I believe that, but... If somebody pressed back on it hard enough, we wouldn't fight back. We might just say, well, that's fine. But there are some beliefs that are worth standing firm for and pushing back, right? And these are the deep convictions that we have that, that we're committed to. Convictions are beliefs which they're, we're convinced of and we're committed to regardless of the consequences. So Daniel thought deep in his heart, I, God is the God of the whole world. He's not just the God of a certain land territory. He's the God... He's God here, too, and I need to pray to him, and I need to keep my devotion to him, and I need to uh, uh, continue my relationship with him. And so he was convinced of that, and it caused him to pray regardless of the consequences. I think Daniel knew, if I do this, if I bow my knee, if somebody sees me doing this, this thing that I would do every day in private, if somebody sees me doing this, I could die. 
And what did he do? He did the same thing again because he had conviction. That was his conviction. I think you'll find that we generally end up acting out our real convictions. We might say we believe something, but if we're not acting it out, do we really believe it? I think we end up acting out our real convictions. You know, we live in a time right now where things that are taken for granted are being questioned. Is our gender biological or is it psychological? Well, if somebody is healthy, I think under God, both of those things should agree, don't you? Both biological and psychological. There are people who hold to convictions that are wrong. And they, some of them will, are willing to pay the price for it. They're willing to do that. I hope the church will have that kind of conviction. Those who do the other, they'll, their convictions keep them in their sins. So the convictions we have matter too. They can rest on the stable foundation of the Word of God or they can be tossed about on the sea of human opinion or the scarier world of our own inner thoughts. Anybody ever have an argument with yourself? Come on, you can, can you admit a little bit of maybe we're not, we don't quite have it all together? <laughs> Sometimes we argue, I want this for lunch. No, you know what, I changed my mind. I want that. No, you know what, this sounds good. Sometimes that internal dialogue becomes external when I go to lunch with my wife. Because she will say, I want this. Oh, I wish I would have got what you got. That sounds so much better. So sometimes we don't always, here's the point, agree with ourselves. That true? We don't always agree with ourselves. And we're going to trust ourselves for establishing our convictions. And then there's the fact that we don't know everything. And then there's the fact that we're growing and changing over time and getting wiser. And so the things that we thought were so important when we were 17 are not important when you're 46. That's how old I am. Things have changed. And so what we've got is a bunch of people resting their convictions upon the moving sea of their own opinion. Where are we going to put it? Are we going to put it in culture? Are we going to put it on ourselves? Or are we going to establish our convictions upon the Word of God? Which is more stable, do you think? I think in Matthew 7, that's made clear. The wise man builds his house upon the rock, right? The rock of Jesus Christ. You can build your house upon him, or you can build your house on sand, which is going to shift with the storm, which one will we choose? The rock, that's right. So it's not a time for us to be believing casually. This is a time for conviction. And a person of godly conviction is going to stand out. You might, uh, you might be in a place in life that you don't want to stand out. You might be uh, at your job the only Christian, and you don't want to stand out because it, it stands out. <laughs> And that's uncomfortable being different. You might be a student. I know when I was a teenager, I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be labeled a Christian. I remember one time a kid asked me, I was a freshman in high school, and I wasn't really committed at that time. Are you a Christian? Luke, you seem like you're a Christian. I don't know how he knew because I wasn't witnessing. But he asked that question, and I felt, oh, that apprehension of because I knew I'm like between two hard things. People are going to know. It was hard in my mind, and Jesus might reject me if I said I didn't know him, right? Remember that verse? If anybody denies before men, I'll deny them before my father, and so I was in that hard spot. 
And I said, <laughs> reluctantly, <laughs> heaven must have laughed in some way if it didn't cry because... <laughs> Yes, I'm a Christian with the least joy of saying it than anybody should ever have said that statement, but it did happen. I took the hard stand uh, reluctantly. I wish I could have been heroic, but I wasn't. But a, a person of godly convictions will stand out, and I think it's important that we know that that's important. We need people who will stand out and be different. There are people who are looking for different because they know what's working or what's out there isn't working. And uh, how, do we, how do we get convictions? Because I think no conviction is ever formed in an empty room by yourself. We have our parents' influence upon us. We have cultural influence. We have the influence of the Word of God. If the Spirit of God is living inside of us, we have His influence working inside of us, building strong convictions. We often think, uh, uh, people think they're free thinkers today, but they're really not so free because they have the influences of philosophy and media, the devil, and what the flesh wants, they all promote pursuing personal pleasure as an ultimate end. No one has ever come to a decision like that on their own. And the conviction to live for yourself hardly needs to be encouraged in this world, does it? Like, you don't have to have a lot of encouragement to be selfish. Anybody agree with that? I mean, I heard some. But isn't that true of all of us? Like, we can easily be selfish. If we wanted to today, we could slip back into a selfish mode. It's easy. We don't need encouragement. What we do need encouragement for is the convictions of God, a conviction that is counterintuitive, a conviction that calls us to set aside flesh and say, I'm following after God. I'm going to be different. We have to have God's help to do that. We need the encouragement of the body of Christ to do that. We need godly parents to encourage their kids to do that. The Christian conviction to live something other than for ourselves constantly needs to be encouraged. That's why we need to encourage one another and come to church. The Bible says not to forsake assembling, okay, gathering together, as unfortunately some of the Hebrews Christians had done. said, but all the more as the day approaches, we need to encourage one another while it's called today. We need to encourage one another. I can be a Christian on my own. you got this John Wayne renegade kind of Christian mentality that says it's just me and Jesus out there, and we don't need anybody else, but we do. We need to encourage one another. I used to be arrogant enough to say, if it was just me and God, I'd do it. I hope I would. But I found many times when I was down, another brother or sister came by and said a word or encouraged me in some way and lifted me up and gave me encouragement to go forward. Parents pass along beliefs to their kids, and those beliefs have to be hammered into convictions. They need to be tried and tested in a fire. They need to be maintained to become beliefs that we commit our lives to. So we need deep convictions. Um, I think if you're a parent, you need to be a, a student of the Word. You need to be a student of Scripture. You need to be widely read. I, I think you need to because today's world is presenting challenges to us that didn't come in a, in a culture that was mostly Christian in the past. You're going to face new challenges. If you're a parent, your teenager is going to ask questions that are hard. You better have convictions of your own. And you need to be able to communicate those convictions. And that's going to be hard. And it's going to stretch you. But we can do it with God's help. The second thing I think I see from Daniel, one thing, that, the first thing he had was he had convictions. Okay, we see that in his actions, that he was convinced that the God of Israel is the only God. And then he had convictions enough to drive him into doing what was good. Remember early on in the book, they even refused to eat the king's meat. 
and instead they ate uh, what was kosher. And that all came from convictions. But the second thing that we see in Daniel's life is character. He needed to have character because it's not enough to have firmly held beliefs that has to produce a kind of person, and it does. Look at uh, verses 1 through 5 here. It pleased Darius to appoint all these satraps, and I'm going to jump down now to verse 3 because we already read this. Now, Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this time, the administrators and satraps tried to find grounds against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. I'd like you to notice that there's two things that are going on there. One is an assessment of his behavior, and the other is the assessment of his character. There was no corruption in him is an assessment of his character. That this is the kind of man that you could trust with stuff. I would ask you, are they the kind of person that can be trusted by God, by other people? See, because people might not always like you, but they'll respect you if you're a person of character. They'll respect that. And they'll know when the rubber meets the road who they can really trust when the difficult time comes. And it will come uh, to all of us. We need to be people of character. I'd like you to notice what the Bible reports about Daniel's character. First, it says he has exceptional qualities. I want to have exceptional qualities, don't you? Something that says, and here again we come back to this idea of, are you okay with being different? Because exceptional means different in a better way. Are you willing to be that? The second thing it says is that he was without corruption. Third, he was trustworthy. And then the fourth thing is summarized by the fact that he was blameless. He was a a man of character. Webster tells us that uh, character is the peculiar qualities impressed by nature or habit on a person. Listen, the peculiar qualities that are impressed by nature or habit on a person. And did you know that originally it came from a Greek word that meant a mark made by cutting or engraving as on a stone or metal or other hard material? The cutting that takes place. Joe um, gave us our call to worship, and he talked about discipline. That's, that's gutsy right there. We're going to worship God today because he disciplines us. Okay, And nobody wants to get too excited about that because you think you're inviting more discipline. But God's going to do what he needs to do, and he's right. We ought to thank God that he's willing to discipline us because what he's doing is creating in us character. And when he talked about his dad... Probably Joe got some spankings when he was growing up, though he seems like an exceptional young man. He probably has some marks that were placed upon him by his mom or dad. I know I did. You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Those things built character. I don't know if you can do it these days, but one time my mom told me. uh, Maybe I shouldn't go there. She's passed on now. She's with the Lord. She's safe in heaven free from any kind of litigation. But I'll just I'll just say this, she spanked me. And sometimes she made me pick what I was going to be spanked with. I'll just put it there. But uh, it left a mark and hopefully that became part of what was my what became my character and is becoming my character. And so you can see how the same word is used for a letter. We talk about a character like the letter T or the letter A, that's a character. 
And then uh, we also know that character is something that is true of who we are as a person. Okay, and so both of those things come from the idea of cutting or engraving with a tool. God's doing work on us, and he's building character in us. Sometimes it's not so fun because he's chipping away things that are not like that character that he's trying to establish in our life. He's cutting at us. He's getting at the person that he wants us to be. He's taking away, he's putting off the old man, if you will, in Paul's language, putting off the old man. So this is a broad word with a lot of different meanings, but I'm interested in the qualities of a person being impressed by nature or habit. You see, it's, is it nature or is it nurture which helps form who we are? I think it's both. And I think we need to add a third category uh, through which the impression is made upon us, and that's the supernatural. So we have, we have nature, habit, and supernature all working to create our character. By nature, you were pr- probably put into a family in which there were certain characteristics and qualities right? And part of that is reproduced in you, even to your chagrin. Maybe you don't feel so good about it. Like, I'm acting like my dad, for better or worse, you know? Um, And so some of those things by nature, and then there are other things that come into our life that uh, are part of that. And then there's habits that help form us. Do you know that this is also part of the economy of God? He wants to use our habits to help make us into the people he wants us to be. And that by choosing to do certain things that God's called us to do, that we're actually forming habits and we're being reformed in the process. Then there's the supernature that comes in where God is supernaturally helping us to grow fruit in our lives that resemble his character. We need all of those working in the same direction. And so nature, we don't always get a choice in that. Like you didn't choose to be born. You didn't choose what maybe your physical, I never could slam dunk a basketball without the help of a chair or something else like that. I never could get there. And I'm chalking that up to nature. Didn't gift me with that. Okay. Um, so there's limitations in that area. But when it comes to our habits, we get to cooperate with God and choose those. Like, do you read your Bible every day? See, in reading your Bible, you're doing much more than just gaining information. You're shaping your worldview. When you read your Bible every day, you're getting into a God-centered world. You're getting out of this man-centered world. And it's not that they're two separate realities. The Bible is unlocking the charm or taking us out of the, the spell that's been cast upon us by secularism that says there is no God at the center of that. We come into the Bible, we see a God-centered world. And we need that every day. So we come to the Word of God and it helps shape us. Those habits make us who we are. And then supernature, of course, by the Spirit of God living in us. We couldn't do it without Him. We need His Spirit living in us. We are transformed by Him working in us, the Holy Spirit developing character uh, like the character of Christ done in all goodness. The transformation that takes place in our lives empowered by God, it's enacted by our active and passive participation. I'd like to take more time to talk about this, but let me just, I'll mention this at the very end. I think as Christians, we need to be more interested in character than in persona. Do you know what the difference is? Persona is the image we project to other people. We want other people to see us as tough, as smart, as beautiful, as capable. We, we try to project a certain, as having it all together, not having any problems. Like sometimes we don't want to let people in because we don't want them to know we're struggling. We're afraid they might judge us as weak. They might think... Uh, terrible thoughts about it. They might see us for who we really are. 
and that can be scary at times. But as Christians, I don't think that it's proper for us to promote persona or image. I think the real thing we need to do is develop character. Character is substance. Uh, persona is shadow. You know, like you can walk through a shadow and it, there's nothing to it. It's just the absence of light there. But when you walk against substance, there's something solid there. Uh, and I was interested to find this out, that persona is the aspect of a person's character that's presented to or perceived by others. And uh, I, I was interested to find out that persona is the Latin word for mask. Did you know that? When you present a persona, you're presenting a mask. This is who I want everybody to see that I am. God doesn't concern, isn't concerned with that at all. In fact, as Christians, I don't think we should be too concerned about that. And it's part of our coming out of our worldliness to get rid of the mask and to really be our real selves in God. So he wants us to be people of character, uh, people of substance. Uh, that's not too far removed from the word, you know, mask isn't too far removed from the word hypocrite, which originally meant play actor, play actor. Daniel was not a persona. Daniel was a man of substance. He was a man of character. And out of his character began to flow the things, the choices of life. He had convictions. Convictions, I think, lead to character. I think character leads to this third category that we're almost in here. But Daniel got his qualities from knowing God. If he didn't have the convictions, he wouldn't be a man of character. And it seems to me that character is developed in us as we make more room in our lives for Christ to work. And as we commit ourselves to pursuing virtuous living, when we go after the good, when we turn away from the evil. The, the third category is this, is that if we're going to be a person that's going to be stable, that's going to have a foundation in this coming year, we're going to have to be people of proper conduct. Okay? We have convictions, we have character, and the outworking of character is conduct. Right conduct. Does God care about what we do? Well, what do you think? Is everybody awake? Does he care? Does he not care? Are we in this, like, a, and, uh, an amoral religion in which we don't have any morals that we have to follow, or does God really care? Well, in Daniel's life, we can see that he cares to do what's right before God. In Daniel 6, verse 10, Daniel learned about the decree. It says that the decree had been published. Guess what he did? He went home to his upstairs room where the window opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees, and he, he prayed giving thanks to God just as he had done before. So look how his character led to right conduct. And, and I think this is true in all areas, that when, when God begins to do the work in our life, in our, in our inner life, it begins to work its way outward. Think about the proverb that says, Above all things, guard your heart, for from it flow the issues of life. It's what is being formed on the inside that leads to what's going to happen on the outside. So many times when I was growing up, I found that in church, we seem to get that backwards. If we got the environment shaped just right, then we would become people of character. And I think environment has something to say about it, but it's not all that there is to say about it. Like, don't listen to any non-Christian music. I think it's great to listen to Christian music. Uh, you know, don't go to the movies. We had some pretty severe rules in some of our churches. Don't do this and don't do that. Don't get around people that have ungodly character. 
And it is true that if we're our best friends or people of ungodly character, unless we're influencing them, they're influencing us. It's true. But the thing that was missing oftentimes is that when God does the work on the heart, he transforms us from the inside out. Character leads to proper conduct. Conduct is a course of action or behavior. So character is the intermediate step in the process of development. The difference between conviction and character is that convictions begin to change how you think, and character is different, and character is who you become. And think about this, um, Romans chapter 12, after Paul lays out uh, in chapters 1 through 11 his deep theology of of Christ and, and what it means to us as Christians. He says, therefore, in view of God's mercies in chapter 12, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. This is your reasonable, this is your logical service to God. And then it talks about in the next chapter the outworkings of that. In fact, the next few chapters, how believing in God leads to a person of character and that change of mind, that being transformed by the renewing of our minds leads to a kind of person that lives a certain way. It's in all the letters. If you look at the New Testament letters, there's always theology, the teaching, which is aimed at encouraging our convictions that are followed by conduct. And the thing that needs to happen in that middle ground is the character that God wants to work in our life. But he's concerned about conduct. And so uh, character is different from image or persona. And those things are uh, the things that we want other people to see. Character is the kind of person you are when no one is looking And conduct works out from that. If Daniel were not a man of character, he would have conducted himself differently than he did. He wouldn't have put his life on the line in prayer. He would have said, you know what, prayer can wait. I can make it private. I could do it in my head. I can take a break for a month until this thing lifts. But he couldn't do that. He wouldn't do that. Why? Because he had convictions, he had character, and it led to his proper conduct. If your convictions determine your character, then your character determines your actions. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So we want to see God do a work in our hearts and our lives. And this matters not just for us. It matters for your kids. It matters for your friends. It matters for your family, your culture, that you're willing to have convictions, character, and right conduct. It matters. If you look through Daniel 11, uh, Daniel 6, 11 through 24, you hear that the king can't go back on his words, so he takes Daniel, throws him in the lion's den. He's there overnight. The king is up pacing because he loves Daniel. He doesn't want to see anything bad happen to him. At the first light of dawn, he gets up and he yells to Daniel, are you alive? Daniel says, long live the king, essentially. And then he says, God has protected me. Darius pulls Daniel out of the lion's den. I don't know if he did it himself or he had people to do that for him. They got him out. They threw the other guys in, the plotters, the satraps. And then something uh, amazing happens. I don't know if you've read this, but in verse 25 and following, we didn't take time to read the whole story, but you know it. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and the people in every language in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear... (laughs) I don't know how you can command this, but people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. 
He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Here's the essential thing is that the king made a law that you couldn't act in this certain, certain way. And then at the end of it, he makes a law that promotes the religion of Daniel. And the point that I wanted to make here is that when you're a person of conviction and character and proper conduct, then I think it makes a difference in our world. And in Daniel's case, because of his prominence, because the light was shining on him, and it could be that even somebody who doesn't have all that uh, visibility, they can make a big difference in the world if they'll stand for what's right. One person makes a big difference in the world. Think about what this church could do in our city. If we were people who had, and I think we do, if we had deep convictions, if we had real character, real godly character, we didn't worry about image or persona. We just said, let my life speak for itself. And what if we had proper conduct in every area? We didn't compromise. We said, this is right, and we will not deviate from it to the right or the left. The Hebrew idiom is to not go to the right or to the left. Stay the course, stay straight. Be on the straight path, not to the right or the left. That's what God wants from us. Now, I might have presented this in a way that made it seem like this is all up to us. It's not. It's really not. Um, we have a say in it because I think God honors our our, our free choice. But if we are going to stand, it's going to be because of God. Second Corinthians one twenty one, Paul says, Now it's God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. God's the one who makes us stand firm. He's the one that gives us the power to stand firm. Because in all of this, as you think about it, if we're going to have convictions, it's our convictions about who he is that matter. If you have convictions and other things, all those things will be shown for what they are, and they'll be moved out of the way. But our convictions in God are founded on something solid. Convictions are only as good as what they're founded in. You with me? If your foundation, you got a really nice house, but you built it on the wrong kind of foundation, you're in trouble. But if you build it on the right kind of foundation, those convictions will stand up under anything. And then it's through him that we build character. We need to know what godly character is like. We fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. The Bible says that it's God's will, those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. He's making Jesus, being like Jesus is the goal. Being like Jesus with your personality, not persona, your personality sanctified. God wants to reproduce the character of Christ in you. And then when it comes to our conduct, it's from him that we learn what's good and what's evil. So all of these things are dependent. They're not something we invent for ourselves. We need him. Listen, if you're a a parent, there's an incredible responsibility you have towards your kids. Help them to develop deep convictions of their own. It's going to take scriptural knowledge. It'll take wisdom, the leadership of the Holy Spirit, a lot of prayer. And then after all of that, it'll be up to them because there's no magic formula. Every person gets their choice. But at the end of the day, when you stand before God, if you're a person in a kind of leadership, leadership over a family, leadership in some other area, you'll answer to God for that. And we'll stand before him and we'll say, he's going to ask, have you made the proper investment? And we have to We'll have to answer that, and there's no hiding. So this is the program. 
Philippians 2, 12 through 13, work out your own salvation for God is working in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do you hear that? Work out your salvation, which means something like cultivate. Convictions, character, conduct. Work out your own salvation for God is working in you. It's not either or. We get this weird thing that it's got to be like we have no, we're, we're either passive or active in our thinking. And we don't realize that it's both God and us working simultaneously towards a goal. That's faith. Trusting God to go his way, to agree with him when it doesn't always make sense to us. Like, why would I do that? He says, this is the good. I don't see it exactly that way, but I trust you enough to go that way. And it makes a difference. It adjusts our character. This is his program. This is the idea that we're to cling to. Habits help form us. We'd like it to be all gloriously sent from heaven where we don't have to do any work. And it is sent from heaven, but I think there's confusion. We think that if we work, it isn't by faith. You see, we don't work for our salvation. We work from within it. Salvation is by grace. We get that as God's gift to us. But within salvation, God wants to work in our lives, and he calls upon us to cooperate. If that bugs you, remember the verse we just read, Philippians 2, 12. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This is talking about cultivating the gift of God. He freely gave it to you, but you've got to cultivate it. You've got to water. You've got to plant the seeds. You've got to make sure that you're harvesting as God uh, has given you opportunity to grow. So what do we do? We read our Bibles. We pray. We spend, These are things we learn when we're kids in kids' church. We spend time with the body of Christ. We spend time in quiet prayer. We get to know God better. We need to study his word and know it. We need to think deeply about the issues of our day and how it affects our families and our, our, our Christian living. We need it. We need his help. We have to put it into practice. We have to apply what God's given us. Salvation's by grace, and it's grown by grace, but grace applied. So we can cooperate with God to develop spiritual habits of goodness, become people of deep conviction, character, and conduct. So today I'd like to invite you to join with God in that venture. So would you stand with me? Thanks for your gracious attention. Kids, you guys did great. Next week you'll have more fun than you did in here. But uh, I think before we go... It'd be nice to take a little time at the altars. These, these stairs are altars. You can make an altar at your seat if you like. But we have, a, we have a, an upcoming year. We don't see the future, but God sees the future. And I know that no matter what the future holds, Daniel's life is an example of this, that there was a lot of things shifting. There were, there were empires shifting around him, and in the story, it seems as if he's the only thing that's stable besides God. Are you with me? How can, it, how can that ever happen? It can only happen when you have deep convictions about the things of God, when you have strong character that's been formed and fashioned the way that God would have us to, sometimes through the trials of life, and when we, we uh, display proper conduct. I'd like to invite you today, if you've never made a decision to follow Christ as your Lord, to put your trust in him to depend upon his sacrifice being enough to forgive you of your sins and his rising to life enough to establish him as Lord and that you would just say, God, I want to walk with you. 
I don't know what the future holds, but you know. I don't want to trust you with it. If you've never done that before, today would you say to the Lord, God, be merciful to me. I've sinned against you. Would you, would you help me as I walk forward? I want to trust you with my life. Start there. If you pray a prayer like that for the first time today, I'd love to talk with you afterwards. Help uh, encourage you and get you, get you going the right direction. Maybe there are others here. You're saying, I don't, I don't know what the future holds, but I do want to be a person of deep conviction and strong character and right conduct. I need God's help. I haven't done so well. There's some things I need to confess to the Lord and have His forgiveness for. Now, if you've already confessed those things to the Lord, you don't need to come do that again. If you've confessed your sins honestly before God, you're forgiven. You're free. That's been washed away. But if today you're recognizing, man, there's some things I haven't dealt with, it'd be great to come and say to the Lord, Lord, what your spirit is saying about me is true. I've failed. But I want you to forgive me, and I want to go forward. It'd be a great time to come do that here at the altar at your seat. But I think a third response might be this. If you're uh, a part of a family or if you're an individual who wants to say, Lord, I want to go forward in this coming year, and I want to be that uh, that strong person that like Daniel was that we talked about today. And I'd like to invite you to come. And if you want to come and bring your family and say something like Joshua did, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. This would be a great day to do this. It would be a great day to be able to say, yes, January 1st, 2023. I know it was just another Sunday, but I made a decision to follow God in a new way. Thank you for joining us today. If this ministry has impacted you, we would love to hear about it. You're welcome to message us at akmaranatha.com forward slash contact or message us on Facebook at Maranatha Full Gospel Fellowship. We pray you are blessed by the message and have a wonderful week.